Okay, there we go. Sorry. Are we good? I'm going to keep talking until we get adjusted. And then, so everybody's awake now. And uh, in case you didn't hear what we, uh, I was saying was, when I was a kid, uh, my uh, grandpa would love to take us fishing. And uh, these were not fantastic fishing trips. This was not like something uh, to, the, to Alaska or even to even like salmon or, or some rainbow trout. This is what we would go fishing for. We would fish for these bullhead. And uh, I don't know if you know what bullhead are. They are the worst fish that you could possibly catch. They're, first of all, it's, it's, like a, it's like a catfish. So it's a, it's a bottom feeder. And, uh, but they're not even big like a catfish. These, if you've got a big bullhead, it's like 12 inches long. So, so there's hardly any meat on it. And my grandpa would go to these backwoods-type lakes that nobody would go to. They kind of stink when you first arrive at them. And uh, there's these, these lakes, and uh, we'd go, and all we'd have was a, a bucket to put our fish in, our pole, and some worms. That's all we'd have. We'd have a tackle box, but the, you don't even really need a tackle box. Just some extra hooks and some worms, okay? And, and we'd go fishing, and we were hoping that we'd come home with a few fish at the end of the day. But there was one day, and I don't know what it was, but it was almost like magical. You could not reel them in fast enough. There was one of these days, and I was a little kid at the time. I still remember. I caught 80 fish that day. And uh, some of the fish I caught, I don't even know if they had worms on them. They were just biting at anything. I literally would throw them out, reel it in. Throw, some of them would jump out of the water and catch it in midair. And then I'm reeling them. I, now, that may be an exaggeration. <laughs> but uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to say it was crazy. All my cousins, the same thing. My grandpa never even threw a line in the water that day. He was just baiting hooks, taking them off. Baiting hooks, taking them off. Now, I recognize that there's probably a catch limit. Uh, I don't know if there's a catch limit on these. I was a kid, all right? I took home a lot of fish, way more than I was probably supposed to. Any small fish we'd throw back, and some of the f small fish I'd throw back, and I'd catch them again five minutes later. They'd have a hole here, and then I'm putting a hole here. And uh, it, was, it was, you could not catch them fast enough. And we had some five-gallon pails, and they were like full, to the point where there's barely any water in them. It's just all fish. And uh, we caught so many fish. And that was a special day uh, with, uh, that I can remember with my grandpa. There was a special day in, this, in the uh, Bible, in the biblical stories with Jesus. That This was the story that came to mind. There was a special day that he caught so many fish. His disciples actually caught so many fish that the boats were beginning to sink. They could not, get, they could not uh, bring the fish in fast enough. And after that day, Jesus gave a challenge to a person named Simon, who we would, he would later nickname Peter. And uh, he said, no longer will you be a fisher of fish, you're going to now be a fisher of pe for people. And it's a, and it's a beautiful uh, picture. When you think of the boats overflowing, it's a beautiful picture to think, what if all of a sudden we start seeing so many people 
coming to faith in Jesus Christ that we don't know what to do with them. Is that not a great picture? That's a picture of revival. That Jesus would be, be, begin to bring, be bringing so many people to himself that the, that the church is overflowing. And my hope is that as we look at this picture, this, uh, this story from the life of Jesus, that Jesus would begin to give us a heart for that. That Jesus would begin to expand our vision for how he might use us to spread his kingdom. And so we're going to talk about uh, fishing a little bit this morning. But really what we're talking about is fishing for people. Sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others so that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's set, the, let's set the context. Let's read the story. The story is found in Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, verses 1, 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing at the, by the lake of Gennesaret, which uh, is the same lake as the Sea of Galilee, so he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the people uh, were crowding around him, And listening to the word of God, he saw by the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from from the boat. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going here, but let me that's the end of the first paragraph, so let me just pause and make a couple uh, brief comments. Uh, here. So, so Jesus, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. And uh, what we've seen in the Gospel of Luke so far, we've, we've looked at his birth, and then we see that John the Baptist uh, baptized him. And last week we looked at his wilderness temptations. And uh, we're kind of skipping some stuff in the chapter 4 to keep us moving along through the book. But what we see in chapter 4 is Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. In other words, he's begun to heal people and to teach people. And one of the people that we are told that he heals is uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So, in other words, now, just FYI, Simon and Peter are the same person. This passage is going to refer to him as Simon, and uh, I'll probably call him Peter because that's how we usually think of Simon Peter. Peter means, literally means, the rock. And so, uh, Dwayne Johnson isn't the uh, first person with that name. That's that's the guy's real name, that's the rock, right? Uh, And... um, Simon is the first, the rock. And the reason he got that name was uh, that, that nickname, Peter, which means the rock, is because he proclaimed, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the one sent from God to be the Savior of the world. And, uh, and Jesus said, that is that's truth. That's the whole reason I came. That, that's the good news. And, and upon that truth, I'm going to spread my message I'm going to spread the good news of the gospel, of, of, of why I came, of my salvation. Peter, you're the one that proclaimed it. It's, it's, going to be on, it's going to be on you. It's going to be on that message. And so he started calling Simon uh, Peter. So Simon doesn't seem to be a follower of Jesus up until this point, but he does have a relationship. Uh, Jesus has healed his mother-in-law, and so he goes to Simon 
because it seems that that's one person he knows well enough, and he says, can I borrow your boat? And he pushes off 10 to 12 yards off the shore. Now, the text doesn't say that, but that's what all the commentators say, because if, if that was the distance from the shore, he would have just enough space to teach the crowds. You see, the, the Sea of Galilee kind of forms an amphitheater. And if he was 10 to 12 yards off the shore, he would have been the, just the right distance that his voice would have carried. He could have talked in a normal tone of voice uh, and, and taught hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. We know that he attracted thousands in his crowd sometimes. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? And so we don't know how many are here, but it's a large crowd. And Jesus begins to teach them from the boat. Simon was there. Simon was sitting in the boat, making sure it don't go out too far or, or, uh, or float back into shore. And he's there uh, listening to Jesus' teaching. Verse 4, when he, was, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. He'd been in shallow water so far. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they, were, and they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And, they, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. It's a great story, isn't it? One of you wanted to have been there on that day. Uh, Simon, Simon is there, and he's been fishing all night. Now, Simon is an, uh, is an expert fisherman. Uh, Simon knew the trade well. And just to keep in mind, like sometimes we think of uh, fishermen and shepherds as kind of these backwoods guys that don't know anything. A fisherman was a very respectable job. Like you had to know something. This was a good job. You had to have some capital. You had to own a, a boat. You had to have the nets. You had to have some knowledge on how to fish. And, uh, and so Peter was a middle-class worker who was supporting and raising a family and, uh, and here he is, and, he's, and he goes out into the water. He's an expert fisherman. Now, Jesus is no expert fisherman, but he is an expert teacher. That's his, that's his line of work, so to speak. Crowds would gather around him. In fact, we're oftentimes told in Scripture that he would teach the people, and they would be amazed at his teaching. I've been amazed at Jesus' teaching. This is why we're spending so much time in the Gospel of Luke and why we keep coming back to Jesus' teaching uh, as we read the Bible on our own. Because you'll read this and your lives will be transformed. All of the Bible is useful. 
All of the Bible is helpful. In fact, God's, it says all of the Bible is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. But doesn't it seem that there's something special about Jesus' teaching? Like, he, he really hits home. And, and so he, even early on in his ministry, there's whole crowds that have gathered around him. And then uh, after all of this takes place, uh, Jesus gives this charge to Peter. Uh, From now on, you will fish for people. And so here is where we're going this morning. To fish for people is a call to evangelize. Is a call to evangelize. Now, I, I know already, like, some of you are ready to tune out and you're ready to say, evangelism, that's not for me. I should have, come, I should have just slept in this morning and uh, evangelism isn't for me. That's because sometimes we get these pictures in our minds. Here, sometimes we think of a, a, evangelism in this way. We think of the guy with the bullhorn shouting out and preaching uh, on the streets and we think that's evangelism. A few weeks ago, uh, my Uh, My family and I, we went to the Rose Parade, and there's a guy on the street preaching to the stands with his bullhorn. And I'll have to admit that uh, everything he said, I agreed with. But when he was done, people, uh, actually when he was done was when the police came. When uh, the police came and said, you're done, everybody starts uh, clapping. And part of me thinks, you know what, I wonder if you would have done better just taking someone to the parade that morning and, and talking with them. Because sometimes the message is caught up in the means in which it's proclaimed. And sometimes we think of evangelism as in this way. The, guys, the guy knocking on the stranger's door, saying, I have, uh, uh, and trying to start up a conversation right there. But here is how I want us to think of evangelism. I want us to think of evangelism as a conversation with a good friend. Let's start there. When we think of, of, of two kids going fishing together, that's a picture of evangelism. It's, a, it's a thinking about those that you know and love. It's, a, it's coming alongside of one, someone and just asking some questions about where they're at in their faith. It's thinking of your family, your friends. It's thinking of uh, kids that you know. Uh, people in your life that you have a relationship with. This is what we're talking about when we think of evangelism. Evangelism, to give a simple definition, is simply sharing the good news of God's love with others so that we might invite them to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. To sharing the good news of God's love. Now, I recognize evangelism comes with a lot. That word itself kind of strikes up fear. In fact, I, I wonder if there's a message here uh, to, in Jesus' words to Simon. Do not be afraid. He's calling us to evangelize, but it's not necessarily meant to stir up fear in our hearts. It's actually supposed to be something that excites us. It's supposed to be something that we think, wow, we get to share good news with those that we know and we care about. And so this morning I want us to think about evangelism And we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of evangelism. In other words, what are these basic things that we need to know so that we can be effective 
in sharing the good news of Jesus with others. The nuts and bolts of evangelism. As I said, uh, Peter was an expert fisherman. He knew how to fish for fish. Now, it says that he uses a, a net here, not a fishing pole, but he knew how to catch fish. He knew when to go out. He knew uh, what, uh, where the fish would be at a certain time of day. And, uh, and here he is, and he's already uh, come in from the night. Night is when you would fish. Once the sun has come up and it, and it, and it starts to warm up, the lake is too hot. The fish are going to go down deep into the cold water. That is not the time you fish. He's already cleaned his nets. He's already got it all done for the day. And then when uh, Jesus is done uh, teaching, he doesn't say, hey, thanks for the boat ride. Take me in. He said, no, pull out into the deep water and let the nets down. And you can almost hear the reservations in Peter's voice. He says, uh, come on, Jesus. Uh, you're the expert teacher. I'm the expert fisherman. Let's just both do our jobs. You obviously have no idea what you're talking about. He says, uh, master. Now, the word for master there is kind of showing respect, but it's not the word rabbi. It's, it's you know, you, you have, you're a good guy, but you have no authority in my life. Uh, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Forget it, Jesus. This is not the time you go fishing. That's not even the area of the lake you would go in. But then he says, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. It's almost like he's saying, you know what? You healed my mother-in-law just to make you happy. I'll put down uh, the nets. But you know what? You're embarrassing both of us. I'm going to look like an idiot. Uh, no one catches fish this time of day in this water. Uh, you, why don't you just stick to teaching? And so he says, but because you say so, I'll let down my nets. And then verse 6, uh, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Here's my point. They did it. Here's my point that Jesus, or I mean that Peter acted in faith and obedience to Jesus, even when he didn't make sense. This is part of the nuts and bolts of evangelism. Uh, evangelism is difficult. Sometimes we don't even know how to get the conversation started. But the point is that we act in faith and obedience. Even when you doubt God, step out in faith and obedience. You might just be amazed at what God can do. Isn't that a wonderful uh, truth about evangelism? You might just be amazed at what God can do. You see, it is God who does the work. And so we, and I admit, I have doubts. Sometimes I wonder, how in the world will I ever be able to reach this person? Or maybe God calls me to reach them, and I say, no, you know what? That's, I don't really want to do that. That doesn't seem like it would be too comfortable. That's not a conversation I want to have. When you, when you doubt God, step out in faith and obedience. Just do it anyway, and you might just be amazed at what God had done, that what God could do. The word that is used here in verse 9 is that Peter and his companions were astonished. The Greek word means that they stand up in amazement. 
that uh, I'm reminded of the song we sometimes sing in church. I stand, I stand in awe of you. That's the idea. But the thing is, it says that they stood up in amazement, but what Peter does is then he gets down on his knees before Jesus. Look what he says here in uh, verse 8. Then Simon Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see, Peter, Peter and James and John with him were amazed at what God had done. They were amazed at this, at this catch of fish. I want to give us a few application points this morning. I've decided I'm going to uh, write them on a board here this morning because I want us to be able to refer to them. And, uh, and here is a very key part of our evangelism. Okay, And this is an application for us. One of the most important things for us to do is to wrestle with, uh, is to reflect upon what God has done in your life. And so here's my application question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how amazed are you? That's my application question. On a scale of, I'm going to have to get better at writing neatly, I'm sorry. Uh, I get going here and then I don't pay attention to that. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how amazed are you at what God has done? Ask somebody that question this week. In fact, uh, this week some of the growth groups are starting back up. And you have this uh, book, New Hope, New Joy. It's our, our book for the Gospel of Luke. And in each lesson I've included a place for you to Write out the application questions. Here's the first application question to do with your group. And if it's not with a growth group, ask somebody, but discuss it. On a scale of 1 to 10, how amazed are you at what God has done in your life? If you're down here on the one end, then you're saying, you know what? Yeah, God's done some things in my life. If you are at the 10 end, then you're like on fire. You're really passionate for the Lord. You're saying, wow, God, I cannot believe at all that you have done. But many of us are somewhere here in the middle. And let me just say, if we're somewhere here in the middle, there's work to be done. In fact, some of the reason I think that oftentimes we don't share the gospel as much as we should is because we're not here is because we haven't really reflected. It's not on the forefront of our minds. Just take a moment this week and wrestle with this. What has God done for you? Think of His forgiveness. Think of how He has guided your life. Think of how He has uh, saved you and how He's healed you. Think of how He's answered prayers. The more that we as a church move to 10, the more that we, and the more we are amazed at what God has done in our lives, the more that we will be a church that is really evangelistic. The more that we become in awe of who God is, the more we can really sing that song, I stand, I stand in awe of you. When we get a picture of what God has done in our lives, then we're going to be motivated to share the gospel with others. You see, there's two sides to this coin too. It's It's uh, one to recognize what God has done for you. Peter's response is, away from me, Lord. 
The word Lord there is, now he's moved from this word master to this word Lord. The word Lord there is a, uh, is a term for divinity. It is a term that Peter is now recognizing. Jesus is God. And, the, and his response is, as, as any normal person would be in the presence of God, say, God, get away from me. I don't deserve to be here. Here I'm stuck on this boat. Get me to the shore as fast as I can. He says, I am not worthy to be in your presence. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And so here's the point I want us to, uh, want us to understand. Every successful life lived for Christ is grounded in a clear picture of God's greatness and our sinfulness. The, the clearer picture that we get all the time of God's greatness and our sinfulness, now we're getting at the nuts and bolts of evangelism. Paul had been a Christian for a long time when he wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You see, this... this, this uh, understanding and perspective of who God is and who we are, it can grow. It can move from 10 to 4 to 7, or from 1 to 4 to 7 to 10. And may, may we reflect upon this with the hope and prayer that God is working in our hearts so that we are more and more amazed at what God has done for you. Are you amazed at what God has done in your life? Are you, are you caught up in it in such a way that it would, it would make sense to tell others about the good news of Jesus? Isaiah the prophet was in the presence of God and he heard the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. And this is his response, Isaiah 6.5. Woe to me, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Same word there. This is in the Hebrew, but the same word that's used in the, that's, that would be in the Greek in our uh, Luke chapter 5. It is the Lord. May we recognize, may we get a clear picture of God's greatness in our sinfulness. See, when that happens... Then we begin to have different convictions. My question number two is about conviction. And it is this. What is weighing most on your heart? What are the things that you are burdened by? What are the things that, that uh, get you stirred up and get you pas- that you get passionate about? My hope is that as we are amazed at who God is and our perspective of God's greatness and our sinfulness grows, that we will have greater conviction And what is weighing on our hearts are the things of God. That He would stir within us those things. So wrestle with that question. 
and talk about it with someone. And be honest, not what you would like it to be, but what it really is. That you might uh, pray that God would help you to be convicted about the things that break His heart. That your heart would uh, be broken with the things that break His heart. In the midst of this, our lives change. And we begin to leave certain things behind. Peter left it all behind. He left his fishing boats behind. He left the the comfort of his life. And I wonder what we would leave behind. Maybe we would leave behind self-consciousness. That we're just... uh, what others think of us, of being concerned of our own fears, of uh, these things that would be in our own hearts that we would that we were that we would be that were too inward focused and and just wondering uh, about uh, and, uh, having our own concerns at the forefront of our minds, we would leave behind us self consciousness and we would uh, not worry about what others will think of us. To, be, to, have, to have an evangelistic heart has to leave that behind. It also has to leave behind success-driven lifestyles. You know, so often our lives get focused on, on success and, and, uh, and careers and, and the success of our kids and all of those things. That, that's all good and great, but, but, uh, but to be really what's weighing on our hearts, it is to leave those things behind so that we can be single-minded, focused on the Lord. And so that relates to the third thing is uh, leave behind split interests. The divided interests that we're focused on the Lord and something else. May it all come under the umbrella of God. And so after Jesus has revealed himself to Peter and James and John in this way, he now says to Peter, from now on you will fish for people. From now on, you will fish for people. I fished a lot of backwoods lakes uh, in my life, and I have fished and I have done deep sea fishing one time, and uh, that is the only time I will do deep sea fishing. Why? Because I got really seasick, and uh, and uh, I got on one of these boats that went out for the whole afternoon, and I had to rent a pole. I didn't have a pole, and so that was another problem. I could not get that thing to cast. And so here I'm trying to cast it off. FYI, I don't have a hook on this this morning because I didn't want to take a chance of it actually going out and snagging someone. Uh, but um, yeah, so I was out there on that deep sea fishing boat and I got so frustrated because I couldn't get it to cast and I was getting really sick. And eventually I just sat down on the boat and said, forget it, I'm waiting it out. And I was so glad when they turned around and went back into shore. I wish I loved fishing. That would be great. Uh, in fact, I wish I loved to eat seafood, but I don't really like the taste of most seafood uh, because it seems like it would be a lot of fun. But I got so frustrated, I did not want to do it again. And uh, I would hate for any of us to get so frustrated in sharing our faith that we would never do it again. So I just want to talk about this for a moment. First of all, if, when you go fishing, you need to know what you're fishing for. I can already tell you who you're fishing for when it comes to evangelism. You're seeking to share the gospel with those that you know and love. You're seeking to uh, share it with those in your life. That's, that's, your tar- that's who you're fishing for. And it's, and, it's a, and it's a wonderful thing to fish for those individuals. The second thing is you got to know how to cast. you got to know how to present the gospel. 
And let me just uh, tell you right now, you could have been a Christian for one day and you've got enough to be able to share the gospel with someone else. Because one of the most important things is you can tell what God has done in your life. You can say how God has uh, changed your life and he's worked in your heart and you can share about how he saved you. And it doesn't, and if you got saved 20 years ago, you don't have to just tell that story. Tell about what God's done in your life within the last week. Because there's nothing more attractive than a relationship, a a vibrant relationship that's lived with Jesus. And you've got God's word. Most of all, you have the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And God will give you strength. Ultimately, it is only Jesus and the Holy Spirit that can change a person's heart. So you've got the Holy Spirit. Uh, But here is another thing that I would want to impress upon you that I have found to be especially helpful. If you want to be really good at fishing for people, learn to ask a lot of questions. Asking lots of questions can be really helpful in sharing your faith. Okay, I read this in a book probably six months ago, and it has changed my life in how I share the gospel with people. I read in a book on evangelism that this guy said, ask people a lot of questions. And I thought, well, duh, how come I had never thought of that before? Oftentimes, trying to get into the conversation is the hardest thing. And I want to share the gospel, and I don't know what to say, or I have fears. What if I don't have the right answers? Or I'm talking to someone who's another religion, and I'm like, I don't have any idea what they believe. Well, the answer to all of those concerns is ask a lot of questions. You ask questions, and, uh, and you, you ask enough questions, and guess what someone does? They ask you the same question back to you. And so I've got in the habit, I, I just ask a lot of questions. And if they don't ever ask questions back, which usually if you ask enough, they will. If they don't, then you don't worry about it, because at least maybe you think, maybe you've helped them get, get thinking, uh, is what I believe really legitimate? Does it make any sense? And so you ask a lot of questions, and that helps you to know where you can kind of turn the conversation, because now you're getting to know where, what they believe. I, I got a, a friend of mine, he's not a close friend, but, uh, and he's not my doctor, but he is a doctor, and he uh, told me that he asks his patients 18 questions before he gives his diagnosis. And uh, where he got the name 18, 18, where he got the number 18, I don't know. But he de- he's decided, I'm going to ask every patient of mine 18 questions. I said, doesn't that take a long time? He said, yes. But the, th- but the thing is, he said, my patients feel cared for if I've asked them a lot of questions. And then, and, I, and then the second thing I wanted to know is, don't you ever know the diagnosis, bef- like early? He said, I know the diagnosis most of the time after one question. But he keeps on asking uh, questions, and, and his patients feel cared for. And the second thing is, he's clearer, he's able to uh, be more clear in explaining uh, what is wrong in, their, in whatever they are suffering from. And I thought, that is a lot like us sharing the gospel. If we ask a lot of questions, A, people don't feel like we're a project, like this is something we're supposed to do. It helps them to feel cared for and that, we, that they genuinely know how much we love them and 
We want what is best for them. We, we're curious about what they believe. And then it also helps us know how to begin to point them to Jesus because there are many ways to share the gospel with someone. I mean, many ways to get at the heart of the issue of needing to have a relationship with Jesus and needing to have our sins forgiven. So anyway, I'm spending a lot of time on that, but I just thought that was so helpful to me. And, and it's relieved so much frustration that I've had in sharing the gospel that I wanted to pass it on because I don't want anyone else, any of us to kind of go off on the side of the boat just out of frustration. And I think if we can learn to ask good questions, do you ever pray? Or do you ever go to church? If they do, what does your church believe about who Jesus is? Or what, or, or, uh, what do you think happens to people after they die? What do, you, what do you think, how do you think Jesus would want you to handle this situation in your life? Who do you think Jesus would vote for in this next election? Now, that's a dangerous one, but you'll get into some good spiritual conversations, I guarantee you, and, uh, and you can ask all kinds of questions, but it opens up the door to help us to share the gospel. So here is my last application question. And this is what I would love for you to discuss with someone this week. Is Let me write this big and thick so you can see it in the back. Could you share Jesus with someone? Talk about that. If you don't really think you could, why not? And then the second question is, will you? And I'd love for you to wrestle with those things. Could you share Jesus with someone and will you? There's lots of reasons to share Jesus with someone. Out of obedience to the Lord, God has commanded us to out of love towards God or towards those individuals, out of a desire that they would not face judgment, out of a desire for our own rewards. The Bible says that there are rewards for us when we uh, share the gospel with others. But the biggest motivation I find in verse 11, in fact, as I was preparing this sermon, I really wanted to end on a high point. And so I put before the Lord the question, God, what's the biggest motivation that would help us to be motivated to share the gospel with others? And I, had, I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit to, to, to turn to the last verse, to verse 11, and it says, So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now where's the motivation there? Well, the motivation, I think, is in a mindset shift. These individuals decided to follow Jesus. And here's our motivation. Followers of Jesus call others to follow Jesus. It's what we do because it's who we are. You see, Jesus has come into our lives changed us. If we are followers of him, he's come into our lives and he's changed us from the inside out so that we're full of joy and love and, and peace and, and, uh, 
and obedience to Christ and compassion for others. He's changed us from the inside. And if we've chosen to follow him, doesn't it make sense that we would share it with others? It's just who we are. I love being a Christian. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life by far. I love being a follower of Jesus because he's given me so much and he's blessed me in so many ways. Doesn't it just make sense that I would share it with others? The biggest motivation for us is just to live out what God has done in our lives. He's called us to follow him. Why would we not call others to follow Jesus? Our biggest motivation is it gives us the opportunity to invite others in to the joy that we have experienced ourselves. We, fo- uh, we followers of Jesus, call others to follow Jesus. It's what we do because it's who we are. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I, I think back on that, that fishing trip I took with my grandpa when I was like eight years old and I caught 80 fish. I remember that to this day, that I caught 80 fish. And it was an amazing thing. But there is far more joy in the idea of being able to share the gospel with someone and that they would come to faith in you and have their lives changed for all eternity. God, all of us come into this sanctuary this morning with things that are weighing on our hearts. And some of us come this morning with with heavy burdens for our, our families or for our health or for our finances or for our job. Uh, we, we may come into this, this worship service with a lot weighing on our hearts. God, I pray that you would remind us that we are your children and that you love us. And God, in the, in the midst of that, I pray that you would also turn our hearts to be able to to have hearts that would want to share the good news of Jesus with others. That they might find the forgiveness of sins. That they might find a relationship with you. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that we stand now in your presence. May you fill us with amazement and astonishment when we reflect on all that you have done for us. God, I pray that you would turn our hearts to you. Give us a clear picture in our minds of who you are, of your greatness, and and of our sinfulness, and how you have redeemed us and drawn us to yourself. And so, God, I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.